What's happening? What's happening? What's happening, blues people? This is the Jack Dapper Blues Heritage Preservation Radio. We're going to do a little talking this evening. What's going on with y'all? How you doing? How you been? Uh, if you up and you listening, let me know if y'all hear me, if I sound good, drop a line. Uh, let's see here. Okay, perfect. Oh, okay, perfect. So drop a line to let me know if y'all here. Drop a line, let me know if y'all down. And y'all ready? Okay, good. What's happening, good brother Atiba? He does great work over at the Piedmont Society down in NC. Today, we want to talk about black scholarship and black culture. Today, we're going to talk about black scholarship and black culture. And this can go many ways, right? I know you, because like, what about black scholarship and black culture? And we're going to talk about music because we're going to, a lot of talking today. I'm not playing music uh, as in literally I'm not going to sing and play, nor will I be playing any um, songs, but listen out. Uh, I'm going to interview our sister Candice Ivory, and we're going to talk about her new album out um, that uh, honors and venerates Memphis Minnie. And I will be interviewing my good brother, Professor Harp, soon too. So listen out for those two. But today, tonight, this evening, depending on where you're listening from, we will be speaking about black scholarship and black culture. But from what angle will we be having this conversation is the question. There's a couple of angles this question or this topic um, comes from, right? Um, and the first I would like to discuss is the black scholars, but in what what vein, right? In what vein are we discussing black scholars when we talk about black scholarship and black culture? So many of us that are black academic scholars or working towards being black academic scholars are also active practitioners in our culture and traditions, right? So we participate in our folk music, we participate in our folk art, we participate in whatever expression or practice you give a title to, 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 to try to understand what it is. A lot of us that are scholars practice or disseminate black scholarship are also active practitioners, okay? So some of us are in the academy and in the public space simultaneously. Some of us are in one or the other. Some of us 
are just community scholars. And when I say just, that is not taking them down a tier. That doesn't mean that is just the area that they focus on, the, the space they work in. And again, a lot of these titles are so people can classify or, or, or put into category categories, different things, right? So the community scholar, which is someone who has knowledge of the methods, the theories, but it could be considered not a quote-unquote formal uh, educational training uh, going through the the academy, if you will, going through undergraduate, graduate, doctorate, and things like this. But they had some sort of training, um, or if they didn't have some sort of training in what's considered the Western um, lens of things, they still engage in the work and they're scholars of their communities, which for me, independent scholars and community scholars can be considered, you know, I use those interchangeably, those, those titles, right? So all of the above are scholars, okay? So between the folk, which are the people of the community of practice, and the black scholars, which are also of the community of practice. This is what I would like to speak about most importantly, first and foremost, okay? Those that are not of the folk group, those that are not of the community of practice cannot tell people who are of the community of practice, who is qualified to document, disseminate, or even explain and or teach our traditional activities, okay? So I'm going to repeat that, and then I'm going to break it down. And, and please jump in, jump in, okay? Now, who is this? So, oh, Jesus. Okay. Um, I got spammed already. So what it would ultimately, and I, I know this may seem to be a ongoing conversation, but trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. If you are not of the folk group, you cannot tell us who is qualified. And that doesn't just go for African-American folklore. That goes for any folk group. Bluegrass right, which is not necessarily um, exclusively non-Black or non-Latino, what have you, but I'm just, oops, Latinx, uh, Latinx uh, uh, brothers and sisters, you, they, you can't tell them, right, who's qualified to teach, disseminate, or train there or or even be a mentor in their folk activities right brother brock what's happening that's a good brother right there and check out his music you cannot and and there's reasons why i'm saying this right and and it is also is 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 deeper than just um addressing a racial 
component. I just want to get this clear. It is deeper than just addressing a racial component. It also has to do with class, a class component, right? Now, understand that there is internal classism, internal colorism that our folk group are dealing with and has been dealing with since the era of the brown paper bag tests, right? Uh, but that's not what we're talking about right now because being part of the academy, if you will, black scholars, black scholarship, we engage on a daily basis in the platform in the space of Western lens uh, education and culture. So a lot of times, non-European, non-white cultures are viewed through the lens of or based on the lens of European or Western uh, views rather than viewed or approached through the lens understanding of black folklore and the diaspora of black is not just globally, but it is uh, nationally, intercontinental, intercontinentally, right? That's also a diaspora, the black diaspora of the Americas. We're going to talk about that another time because that's a whole different rabbit hole. But the point I'm making is Though we have internal issues, the external lens approaches our tradition, our folklore, our culture, and our people as monolithic. We discussed that as well, right? So what happens in this case is in that approach, one of the major malfunctions is when they're when someone is telling a black scholar that another black scholar is not qualified to teach, mentor, or give tricks of the trade of um, black folk music, black folklore, whatever it is that happens on the ground. And the rationale is, well, they're educated. They were uh, classically or technically trained. So they're black, but they're middle-class black. So they're not qualified to teach or mentor or disseminate or whatever you, what have you, this black uh, folk life of practice. And I'm here to tonight to dismantle that fully. I'm here to dismantle that fully, okay? Black scholars who have been musically trained can definitely teach, encourage, mentor, and provide tricks of the trade to add nuances and extreme dynamics to the writing, playing, and performing style of Black traditional music. Let's just start right there. Let's just start right there. A black person, African-American, 
an Indian American, African, Caribbean, whatever, Black Southern, Black Northern, Northeastern, whatever regional cultural expression you participate in. If you are a Black scholar, meaning you were trained, you were taught, you were classically trained, you were formally instructed to what the mainstream idea of music education or playwright or whatever the case it is, right? Oh, we're going to get into this. That does not mean that you are not deemed qualified to teach the folk tradition down here on the ground. And whoever says that, whether they're knowingly or unknowingly, they are spreading a white supremacist view of folk tradition being shared. Okay? Now, so for me, we can start with hip-hop. I learned how to count and write bars in the project hallways of one of the worst neighborhoods in Brooklyn. But then a lot of my cultural lessons and experiences in that tradition and traditional expression comes from the people in in the places in these locations, right? Predominant for me, predominantly New York, but then it travels. New Orleans, right? Like I remember being 12 years old in New Orleans with uh my cousin who worked in a group home. And they were it was late it was at night. Only a few of us. And you know, kind of battle rap, but not really battle rapping talking about it, doing some raps, whatever have you. And these young men on bicycles rolled up to the window and was like, yo, I heard you. This is in New Orleans. You, you understand? Yo, I heard y'all. And this is like 1984. I heard you. And I, I, I kind of, you know, we kind of get it in too, you know. Could, could we... So then, you know, my cousin was a counselor. So he and the other counselors like, yo, y'all come in and we can do this, you know. And and the dude that rode up on a bike. Now, let me just set the stage because here's something that we, we have to. When, when you're listening to stories, uh, ethnographic documentations or interviews, there's, there's different pieces of, uh, of information that gives a story that tells you different things. So my man had a BVD t-shirt, right? He had a BVD t-shirt. So those of you that in my age group or a little older that grew up in this space, you know what that means. It's a satin t-shirt. He had the waves and the little puff in the back. I forgot what they called. Those of you who knew of early new edition and their hairstyle, this is what the brother was rocking. And then he was doing a beatbox to a Run DMC song called Perfection, which is not an easy song to do a beatbox to. And this is in New Orleans in 1984. Right? 
then, you know, we could talk about Georgia, North Carolina, all these different places, upstate New York. But what I, I, I say all this to say, as my life and experience and my journey evolved, adjusted to the different level of experiences, is a, will a non-folk group member now that I could consider myself a black scholar who engages in black scholarship of my black culture, I wouldn't say middle class, right? But I would say uh, educated. Uh, would, 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 would that be considered I cannot mentor, train, teach, or share uh, different experiences, excuse me, that can guide an upcoming uh, a lyricist, songwriter, playwright. I didn't learn necessarily how to play the blues on a back porch. I learned how to play the blues in the tenement building. Uh, I was able to um, take different uh, workshops and trainings here and there. And then I was able to shoulder to shoulder with some great musicians, which I still do. And, you know, a non-black musician who has been training me on uh, Clawhammer for the banjo, right? So, I mean, having these experiences, working towards black scholarship, does that make me less qualified to be able to teach something, present something, mentor something in the field of black culture. Now, listen, I don't want to just talk at y'all. Those of you watching, I love, trust me, I love the hearts and the likes. I want you to chime in. What do you think about this, right? Do you want me to put up a question? So you can, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Black scholarship and black culture. Because ultimately what I'm inter interrogating is, are you saying that someone of the black diaspora, right? Intercontinentally or uh, 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 globally, if they're educated, if they're middle class, they're of a different status than the people of the folk. Their blackness is not enough for them to be able to express and teach the culture, the expression, whether it's music, whether, you know, poetry, whatever, folk art. So with that being said, right? Oh, by the way, just to let y'all know, the African American Folklorist magazine and website are always taking submissions, right? Articles, featured articles, podcasts, digital, whatever, book reviews. Okay, we're working towards our annual you know, usually every year, our first issue of the year is between February and March, which is Black History Month and Women History Month, right? 
So we're 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 in in this upcoming. Someone is uh, okay. This upcoming issue focuses on black folk art. So if you have something and you want to share, okay. If you have something and you want to share, please, by all mean, by all means, excuse me, by all means, submit. You can make your submission by going to the AfricanAmericanFolklorist.com and follow the prompts, okay? Also, please, don't be afraid to donate, okay? The work that we engage in takes time and money. That's why there's a lot of grants, and that's why there's even more people applying for the grants. And 95% of the people applying, if not 99, are not only eligible, but qualified for it, Okay. So so don't be afraid to donate. We're not a robot. I'm not yelling random donations, but what I am doing is saying, hey, if you like the information that we provide, if you like the content that we provide, if you you know, if you like what we're doing, chip in so we can continue to do it. Okay. And again, join the conversation. Jumping right now on the feed, you know, say say what's necessary, what you want to say, uh, because this is not necessarily, I'm not trying to talk at y'all, I'm talking with y'all, what you think about what I'm saying, right? So with that being said, I left off talking about prior to encouraging you all to submit my experience in rap and my experience in blues, right? And the reason why I did that is because, you know, there's this um, idea. There's this idea that there's just one version or one way to be black. Now, mind you, it is very, it's convoluted and it's complicated, right? And we can look at Black Swan Records to kind of uh, discuss that complication, right? Because now you have a situation like Black Swan Records who, ah, okay. I was just getting a message and I was checking it up. I'm sorry. So, so Black Swan Records in the early years, the turn of the century, right? They were putting out Black traditional music, but they didn't want to put out Black traditional music. What does that mean? So you got a a, a Bessie Smith, right? Uh, Ma Rainey. You got those that did gut bucket songs. Some people call them coon shouts at the at that era. Uh, vaudeville minstrel type uh, music, which people. Well, we're not going to get into the definitions of minstrelsy or vaudeville right now because that's not the topic. However, what the topic is, you had uh, Black Swan Records that wanted to put out Black music, but they wanted to put out Black music that was consumable 
to a white audience. So that right there separates the the idea and the sound of what traditional black music is. Okay? Because then there's also the backwoods black music. The the music that you hear in the black spaces. Okay? And I, I'm 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 sharing this to set this up because what 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 my point of that statement is this is not a new concept on the inner workings of black culture, black business, and black scholarship, because even W.E.B. Du Bois, Booker T. Washington, uh, Marcus Garvey was, was having this discussion, right? Even uh, Anna Julia Cooper, um, Paul Dunbar, and quite a few others were having this discussion. So I don't want to make it seem like this is a new concept. However, what I am saying is that this day and age, we, we got to 10 toes down, at least as we work internally, externally, we have to address this. So as I'm addressing this, we, we what, what I would like you guys to understand is whether you were doing what's considered authentic black music, not com- not commodified authentic black music. That does not mean you were not trained in some way to perform the music. You were not trained in some way to act. You were not trained in some way to, to write. This idea of the mystical Negro this idea of so okay you have illiterate folk by the standard of western education right but and i did an interview recently um with this young brother out of mississippi who comes out to church and he also went to school to school and had formal music training so he has church music training and what we can say formal classical music training and i asked him what is the difference we're going somewhere here it may sound like i'm all over the place but i'm not we're going somewhere here so i asked him what was the difference between the two what what separates your training in the church from your training in the academy. He said, in the church, we were taught how to do it. In the academy, we were given the vocabulary of what we were doing. Oh, yeah. Some of you that knows me and speaks to me on the side, knows why I'm excited about that statement because a lot of us went to the academy to get these degrees, not because we wasn't doing it or not because we didn't know how to do it and all these things, but, but vocabulary plus application. So why is that exciting to me? Outside of what I just shared, 
to the point I'm making, the young man explains that in the church, they showed him how to do it. In the academy, they showed him the vocabulary of what he was doing. So now let's go back. Musicians bust, right? Just like we rapped on the street. And I, I can't say I bust with the blues. I've been fortunate since it was more of a transition from my early expression to this, that I could just go and not just go into places, but I've been uh, uh, allowed in uh, uh, spaces to perform blues. So it was more of a, uh, I don't know if it's really, because they're, they're actually quite the same. The, the, the musicianship might be different, uh, at least in my approach. Um, but it's more like an evolution than just uh, doing something totally new, right? But, you know, we have um, musicians that busked, right? So let's go back to the old school and bring it current so I can kind of bring this full circle of, of Black scholarship and Black culture, right? Because they're one and the same, particularly for those of us that are active participants in Black tradition, right? Whether it be music, food, what have you. So we have Robert Johnson, Sunhouse, Charlie Patton, Howlin' Wolf. Robert Johnson was known for busking. I don't know if Sunhouse did that. Doesn't it doesn't really sound like he was a busker based on his belief system and his journey in in secular and spiritual music. I'm not sure if Charlie Patton was a busker. I believe. Don't I don't know if Howlin' Wolf was a busker. Robert Johnson, I know for a fact, bust, right? And now, with that being said, we can go down the list of these, the many blues musicians of those days that were um, considered illiterate. Illiterate. Robert Johnson was considered illiterate, even though he, he, he was an avid reader. I speak about this all the time. But the reason why I mention these gentlemen, because they all had some sort of formal music training, whether it was church style or school style, academy style. But they were musicians of practice, meaning they were uh, practitioners of the folk activities and the folk group. Robert Johnson was taught how to play the guitar by a musician. I believe in Arkansas, if I'm not mistaken. He was a, he was a piano musician, if I'm not mistaken. But he was formally trained how to play this thing. Now, was he formally trained like the academy or like the church? I bet it was like the church, but I still a, a, a form of formal training. Son House was as well. Howlin' Wolf was taught by Charlie Patton, and we can go down the list. And we can also connect who's at the top of that pyramid if we really wanted to, but that's not what this is about. What this is about is someone suggesting a group 
of academics suggesting a group of people, not whatever, suggesting that if you're black and in, and a scholar, you you're not necessarily qualified to teach black culture, and that is not true. And one of the things that one of the uh, points of the uh, uh, idea of the lack of qualification is, well, you're educated. You, you, you were trained. You were formally trained. So you don't know what the people are going through because you were formally trained. Now, we see movies and we hear stories and we read stories about these situations. Let's go to Scott Joplin. Let's go to Scott Joplin, right? Where did he go to? Ark? Not Ark, Missouri. Scott Joplin was was classically trained. He went to Missouri to be a music teacher, trying to get his get his stuff off the ground. Where was he at though? Where did he hang out? Scott Joplin hung out in brothels. Scott Joplin played in brothels, amongst other places. He's not the only ones that the only one that played in brothels, right? Jelly Roll Morton played in brothels. Lead Belly played at um, hoedowns and brothels. Buddy Bolden, who does not get the props that he should, played in, in, in on Storyville in brothels and in all kinds of places like this. But these men also had some sort of now the, ironically just thinking about buddy bolton bolden you know there's a movie about him i think it came out in 2019 and the movie uh suggests the conflict between the dark negroes and the Cajun Negro. I don't want to say Creole because Creole is black. The Cajun Negro, which would be the one drop Negro, the lighter Negro, the Negro that at one time was allowed in Master House, juxtaposed to the darker Negro. The Cajun Negro who were sent by their white father or mother, I'd say and or mostly white father, there was white mothers, but that's again another conversation, sent to France and these places in Europe to really be quote unquote classically trained in Western music musicianship then they come back to america and they're playing and now this is before jim crow because when jim crow comes those cajun negroes find out that they're negroes right regardless of because again there is the brown paper bag and this was part of it right so i'm setting this up again because you're looking at two formally trained 
versions of black musicians that both are qualified to not only just teach black mu traditional music, but the culture, the tradition of folk life, the folklore. One more educated in regards to what Western education means. And in some cases, well, and it's hard to kind of quantify because then you got to think about um, HBCUs, a good portion of HBCUs were established um, <laughs> by whites, right? Um, or, or what they would call now diverse organizations. Right. But again, going back, drawing from the past to bring to the current, it is you, you cannot say because a black scholar may not still be in the projects or a black scholar may not still be in the backwoods of the South. But being a scholar, being of middle class or even raised middle class, whatever the case it is. Being educated, learning Western music through classical training, even though there's issues there, and I and a lot of us talk about this. This is that that, that that's not we're not talking about how black music is an elective, and Western and European music is a curriculum. That's not the topic right now. That is a problem, but that is not the topic right now. The topic right now was just because a black scholar was traditionally trained, formally trained, that does not disqualify them from teaching traditional black anything. Unless a particular folk group of black folk tell that person, well, homeboy, you're not qualified. But we can help you become qualified. If it is not coming from the folk group, because, you know, there's, we're almost out of this, right? But there's this idea, theory, if you will, um, by non-BIPOC academics, folklorists, ethnomusicologists, and the like. Not all, but there's still remnants of this where, you know, they just know more than the people of practice. You know, look, let me explain. Let me, let me share this. Because again, now why is this white supremacy? Right. And please, uh, non-black folk, white folk that mess with me, meaning that, that whether it's, 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 it's personal friendship, whether it's academic, whether it's musically. We've had conversations, you know, I'm not talking to or about y'all. OK, let's get that straight. You know, I'm not talking to or about y'all. Right. Because, you know, I, just on the side note, before I 
keep going, I have to make this disclaimer. When when the term white supremacist, when the term racism, when the term this, whatever the term it is, whether it's about black, white, yellow, whatever, it's usually spoken and received as a blanket statement. Everyone does not fall into these categories. Okay? A lot of the work that I do is to inform all groups, give an understanding to all groups. I function for my folk group, but I look to inform all groups to have, do you understand? So now, with that being said, this idea of black scholars not being qualified to teach, engage, or disseminate black culture is a form of oppression and white supremacy because now you're functioning under the assumption most people, most black folk that engage in their tradition has no sort of education. Your folk, you, you, you're under the mindset that 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 black folk that were able to or had the discipline to master something didn't have the agency to get an education. So what you're saying is, oh, to be able to learn the real and authentic black culture, you got to go speak to an uh, uh, illiterate person. So you're calling black folk of practice illiterate. There are literate people of all folk groups. And when I look, I'm definitely not looking down on none, no one. But I know from where I come from, there are people that may not have gone to the academic institution of a university, but they went to another institution that, that, that mirrors that, which is a prison system, and they are more they have more scholarship than people from the from from the academy and that's just one example so i think about nama why do i think about nama again join the conversation uh my brother brock said there's a lot of information um uh, so I'm not trying to make this complicated, but it's somewhat complicated, right? Because through a Western lens, some of these folk may not, may be illiterate. But this also functions like the word obscure. To the white folklorists and ethnomusicologists of centuries old to now, I won't say to now, but just to make the the drive the point home, some of these folk may be obscure to y'all because you don't know them, but to their community, these people are not obscure. It is the same thing when you're saying someone is too educated to be able to teach a black culture, but they're a practitioner of the culture and the the the, the folk group. Um has qualified them to teach the music or to teach the art form or whatever it is. 
So let's just talk about black music for a moment and this idea of of not being educated. So if you're not educated, you're not the real thing. I already mentioned Scott Joplin, right? But let's talk about some others. Um, Lester Boone, Dickie Wells, Yubi Blake, James Reese, you're James York Reese, right? Jelly Roll Martin, who we already brought up again. These are black musicians and some Afro-Latino musicians that were part of the New Amsterdam Musical Association. Now, what is the New Amsterdam Musical Association? I'm going to actually add that as a banner so you guys can see where you can go look them up, okay? The New Amsterdam Musical Association was founded in 1904. Actually, it was before then, in the late 1800s. It was established in the late 1800s, and then fully, I guess, fully formulated in 1904, okay? By three black music, two black and one Afro-Latino. The original... Uh, formula, uh, um, um, the, 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 the three gentlemen who founded this organization, okay? Now, if you want to go check out um, right here, Jack Dapper Blues Heritage Preservation Radio on Spotify, you can find my piece on NAMA where um, the, vice pres- the former vice president, King Kataki, uh breaks down the history and the definition of nama but what i want to get to right now at the time the, the purpose of the formulation of the new amsterdam musical association was in the 1800s and early 1900s if you were not in the music a musicians union you could not perform professionally and you could not be in the musicians' union if you could not read and write music and compose music and, and, and read notation and things of this nature. So that means you have a group of blacks that because they could not get into the regular union because they were black and Latino, and so they formulate this um, the very first uh, colored musicians union, the second one comes out of upstate, I think Rochester, which is actually called the Colored Musician Union. And you can find that article on the African-American folklorist written by our uh, dear brother, uh, Brother Doug, who, who hosts the uh, Black and Blues radio show. These organizations were founded so educated black musicians can work. And when I say educated, understand something. Understand what I mean. That was kind of condescending intentionally. Because what I'm getting to is to be told that a black man or woman who was classically trained can't 
teach you the real blues or the real jazz or the real whatever. But in one of the most, uh, when racism was legal and these men and women were educated in classically trained as well as community trained and then they had the wherewithal to formulate a union and then they were able to work and manage this business how can you say that a a someone of a black scholarship can't teach or mentor or instruct black culture I mean, I really want to know what y'all think. Again, a lot of these folk, so a, a lot of these folk, and to this day, and it's not as bad, and when I say it's not as bad, I probably don't, you know, I don't know. I know in my younger days, some of the places that we had to go to perform or see performances was was really uh, sketchy, to say the least, and I know that was how it was back in the day. I mean, there were you had to you were performing in brothels for Christ's sake, right? But now you have um, people of the hood, and then educated folk of the hood, and also remember, and you know, Sterling Brown, the poet. Langston Hughes, the poet, both of them writers, um, one black scholar and folklorist and ethnomusicologist and cultural anthropologist that everyone loves to celebrate. Um, Non-BIPOC people love celebrating this woman, rightfully so, but we got to keep, um, how we say, we, 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 we got to keep it a buck. On, on how she moved Zora Neale Hurston. Zora Neale Hurston was of the academy and of the people. And when I mean of the people, she was she was she was she was she was frolicking in places that most people just would not go. But is she qualified to teach black culture? Absolutely. And she was very educated. But going back to my statement, Sterling Brown, the poet and writer, Langston Hughes, the poet and writer, did many pieces on the fact that, you know, the multiple groups of black, the multiple classes of black, the multiple educational groups of black often congregated in the same spaces because there were not many um, avenues for them to frolic outside of that. So here we have another version of cultural exchange within the folk group, yet again, qualifying black scholars community scholars and community folk to be able to teach, mentor, and, and show how to 
express, perform black culture. So uh, ultimately, if you're not of the people, you can't be telling nobody who's qualified to teach the people stuff. John Wesley Work. I speak about Mr. Work often. Oh, by the way, have you been to the Jack Dapper Blues store? Yeah, I know. I just jumped. I just jumped around. You should go to the store because wintertime's coming. We have some. Well, wintertime is pretty much here, right? Christmas is here. The New Year's is coming. We have hoodies. Um, different versions of hoodies, African-American folklore hoodies, Jack Dabba Blues hoodies. Um, blues music is Black History hoodies, T-shirts. Um, we have mouse pads. We have mugs. Okay, we have mugs. You can go to our Jack Dabba Blues website or our Jack Dapper Blues or African-American folklorists. Um, Facebook page. Sorry for the pause. I had to remember what, what page I was trying to get you to. <laughs> you know, and you can order it from, you know, you can find our shop there. Right? Uh, let me see if I can find this link for you real quick. Uh, I think Brother Brock just joined the conversation. I'm going to get to your statement in two seconds, my brother. Let me just see if I can find the store so I could link the good people to it. Who that? How are you doing? We're live and on the air. <laughs> um, You know what? Maybe I'll just put it in here later because I don't want to waste too much time trying to find this while we're having such a good conversation all right uh what so let's see here brother brock our music has brother aaron what's happening brother brock says our music has so many layers black music has so many layers to start out with making music the way he heard it and not even knowing that there was a vocabulary until I got to, uh-oh, until I got to high school where I studied jazz and I didn't feel I needed that vocabulary to make the music, right? I make, uh, today sometimes I use it, right? I could teach for sure. He doesn't feel he's a scholar. I, I'd say differently. You know, you, 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 you're a scholar, brother. Um, Hard to get out a real question because there's so many layers on black music. Yes, there is mo there is there is a lot of layers of black music. There's a lot of layers of black and this is what I'm taught. See, thank you for saying that. The, let me put that back up because I want you to so many layers on black music. And so he got me stuttering because here's one of the, here's the issue. 
there's multiple layers of black music because there's multiple groups of black folk. Multiple educational levels, multiple social levels, multiple uh, financial levels, multiple classes. But there's so many, you know, we're, we're not, this is not a monolithic group. So now when we go going back to John Wesley Work, who I love to speak about, because John Wesley Work comes from a family of generational uh, wealth of knowledge, right? His people was at the establishment of Fisk University. His people was at the establishment of the Fisk Jubilee Singh, excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me, right? His people were not just there. They were active participants in helping move this dial forward. Then he comes along, graduates from some of the most prestigious musical academies in New York and in Fisk. Then he becomes a doctorate, a doctor, and he's teaching at Fisk, established programs at Fisk, and he begins documenting black music. Now, Come on, um, the, the guy knows the blues. He grew up in the blues. He knows gospel. He grew up in the gospel. He knows hymns. He grew up in the hymns. He knows the backwood, gut bucket, hooting, hollering spirituals. Okay. So he goes on to document the many layers. I'm, we're going to go with that, Brother Brock. The many layers of black music he goes on to document. He, then he begins to do what we call an audio ethnographic uh, reflexive piece, meaning he, he, he writes his experience in these spaces based on the work he was doing. And see, and Man, this is a great book to get. Shirley Moody Turner writes a great book on, on, and there's another piece by Sister Ebony Bailey, um, Black Scholarship as it pertains to folklore, as it pertains to anthropology, as it pertains to literature, psychology, sociology, and all the ologies, black scholarship comes for us as black scholars from engagement and memory. Most, and I'm not saying non-BIPOC and non uh, just black scholars are, don't engage in, in their folk lore and folk life and things of this nature. But often enough, non-people of color, white folklorists, white scholars, usually are interrogating, interpreting, and documenting someone else's. Not all. But as it pertains to the scholarship that I've consumed, Nine times out of ten, I'll say six times out of ten, white scholars are engaged in someone else's uh, folk life. 
where black scholarship has always been based on um, the forward movement of black life. So black scholars have always been fully engaged in, in, in black folk life, black folklore, black tradition, and all the other ologies that I've mentioned, right? So now when we look at John Wesley work, who was engaged in black folk life, black education, black literature, black music, black composition, black education, he sees a difference in the education. So now, excuse me, as someone says to me that uh, an educated black person can't teach um, a folk style of blues or a folk style of black music, John Wesley work, and I said this before, makes a clear distinction between the people of the blues and the people of the cloth people of education and people with a lack of education in a depressive state. But that distinction that he makes is based on the availability of resources and how that deals with the psyche of black. That is not an external um, interpretation of, well, the people of the cloth that are progressive and forward thinkers and educated can no longer deal with our brothers and sisters of the blues because, no, no. He's speaking to the lack of resources of one group has them feeling and thinking one way where the resources afforded to another group based on the position they're in have them feeling and thinking the opposite way. Though that doesn't mean they don't interact, they don't intersect, and it also doesn't mean that the group with the resources afforded to them based on education cannot go back and educate or teach other people of color their own folk life or folk expression. Now, there, to be fair, another folklorist and educator who I love, Charlotte Fortin Gremke, who was the very first to document black spirituals on St. Helena Island on her excursion there after the quote-unquote emancipation. And those of you who've been rocking with me for a while know I love to talk about her. And this actually, I, you know, actually I wrote a piece about this, a small piece. And you can see that on the African American Folklore's website. And I did an um, podcast about her and her family uh, that I need to do a couple more uh, episodes now that I think about it, but you can that's on you can see that on Jack Dapper Blues as well as going to the website to see uh to read um Charlotte, uh, my piece on Charlotte Fort and Grimke. And the, the reason why I bring that up because my piece on Charlotte Fort and Grimke 
one of the things that bothered her, and I see you, brother. I'm going to get to your statement in a second. One of the things that bothered uh, Charlotte was she didn't feel she could connect with her people that was indigenous to St. Helena Island. And it was based on the difference of education, the difference of language, the difference of culture. Charlotte Fort Gremke comes from a line of free blacks. Now, I think it was her grandfather bought his freedom. And then, you know, they 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 got down. They funded newspapers. They funded uh, underground railroads. They funded black movements throughout Philadelphia and all the spaces. And not just the Fortin or the Grumkey family. Yes, she kept her maiden name and took her married name. But the 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 elite blacks that were their uh counterparts got together and, and they funded these movements. You know, and and in Philadelphia it may not, I don't know if it worked that way, but in St. Helena Island, she felt a way because she couldn't connect the way she wanted to to who she thought was her people, which was the black natives of that land. And she had more of a connection to the white educators there. So we do see the other side of, of, of the coin. But again, that does not make it where another black scholar cannot teach black tradition. And for what it's worth, Charlotte Fortin Grimke has taught us black tradition of that time and that space and that place from her people, those same people she felt she couldn't connect with. She did receive what those songs were what they meant. She did receive the black experience at that time because she wrote a lot about the different cases and things that was happening. Let's see what my brother says here. Okay, so Brocco, you were talking about white supremacy. I'm sorry, I was reading it, then I realized I should be reading this out loud instead of reading it together, like, you know, silent. So you were talking about white supremacy. I believe that once we are studied, which happened a lot with our culture, it's studied by white people. They, they look to validate themselves in the arena. Okay, so yes, yes. Um, I speak about this every so often, not too often, that much anymore. Um, early on in my transition from community scholar and blues practitioner to um, Using, utilizing the term public uh, applied folklorist and, and music practitioner and 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 a scholar, I, I, that that transition comes from arguing with white male scholars jockeying to be the best person to tell the black story. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And the, and these guys were like, that you know, man, they were out for the kill. It was like you know. I tell the black story better than you. I mean, they might as well have said that. You know, I know the black story. And it's not just, uh, you know, this this entire, the, the, the Western education is pretty much set up with the lens of sending out 
people to treat everyone who was not of Western civilization as other, right? So even though my focus is black folklore, black folk life and everything that has to do with that, that doesn't mean that your folk group, your people, uh, your uh, 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 nationality, whatever have you, did not face these things and I'm not omitting your story and what happened to you, right? We know how this works. But going back to John Wesley's work, he recorded all types of black traditional music and the multiple social and class groups of black. And he actually states And it's actually stated, I don't want to misquote, but it was definitely stated that his issue with working with Alan Lomax, if I'm not mistaken, was John Wesley's work was tracking the progression of black music and black people while Alan was tracking past and continuing to go past to the back, you know, how it used to be. Right, I'm not knocking Alan Lomax or John Lomax at all. Right, their scholarship helps us as well. However, to John Wesley Works' point, when I see certain things that reflect an era that really shouldn't be in existence today or even 40 years ago, or even 55 years ago, that's a problem, right? Because it's great to see as a traditional uh, experience living in its living form, right? And, And you have multiple class of people. Right. But if, you know, man, if, if, if you show me a, a, a Lomax documentary from 41 or 1920, which I'm not saying there's one of that era, I'm just making an example of 1920, Mississippi, right? Alabama. And then you show me one of 1974 of Mississippi, Alabama, and the conditions are exactly the same. It's hard for me to be in a celebratory mood, you know? And I'll also say, not knocking the Lomaxes, when you think, I said this before, but I'll say it again. When you think about movies like, uh, remember the Titans when they were talking about race relations in Virginia at this school, that, that move, that, 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 uh, historic, that history, what is it? Uh, bibliography, a bi, a biofilm. How, how do you call it? Um, takes place in 1974. So that's not that long ago. Right. So I, I just use that to give the, the preference that 
I'm not out of touch with reality. You know, these things are very real and very current, right? But what I am saying is it's hard to celebrate seeing something in the 20, 30, 50-year present that is a direct reflection of turn of the century oppression. That is just it's hard to, to celebrate that. But anyway, as I get ready to close, let's just 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 finish out this idea that our culture and tradition adjusts and evolves as we adjust and evolve. So as we move up socially, educationally, financially, our culture, our tradition, our behavior, our interactions follow suit and that that's what john wesley worked and most black scholars and black artists for that matter focus on right i i, I know i was I, I can't there is not one black blues musician or black artist that i've whether interviewed or just spoken to in a in a social space where we were just kicking it right and they all say the same thing right Black music evolves with the generation. Now, if you remember the piece I did about, um, uh, was it the Black Bottoms film with um, Chadwick and 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 uh, Homegirl? I can't think of her name. I'm, I'm horrible with names. And when she played Ma Rainey, and that was the perfect example of a generational shift in black traditional music. So, you know, speaking to great people like Guy Davis and, and, and um, man, I can't think of every Piedmont Blues, everybody has, there, there is a reality of black music moving forward with its generation, taking a piece of the past generation and moving that dial forward. I even hear that with some of the young blues musicians of today, like John Tavis Willis, Marquise Knox, um, um, Kingfish, uh, DK. I mean, I can go through the list of them. And those are the younger guys, right? You know, my my generation, we, we're in the middle, but we, we do the same thing, right? We, we move that dial forward. So I, I say that to say, you know, Muddy Waters went from Mississippi to Chicago. He did the version of blues that he did in Mississippi, but he did it in an urban way. It, he adjusted and evolved the traditional music, right? So that's the same thing when it comes to how we pass this on. So then if it gets to the point from what someone would call an uneducated, illiterate black person, because that's how it, it felt like it was being presented to me, right? And then it goes to the next person, whether it's their son, cousin, friend, neighbor. By the time it gets to the 10th person, that 10th person 
might have not only got it from the community, but also learned from the academy. Going full circle to the young brother I recently interviewed that shared with me that he got two separate things from his formal education in church, music education in church, and his formal education in the academy. How to do it and the vocabulary, the names of it. Now, you can't tell me that young man with his education is not qualified to teach black gospel because he was afforded the resources of an education. You know, and as as and and you know, as a, a purist, because I'm a I'm a purist. I am. I'm a purist. And sometimes I, I get, you know, um on my pulpit, right? My sandbox. But but after I calm down and get that emotional rant out, you know, come on. You got people like Ninth Wonder and folk, Karis One and different other folks, you know. If they're not teaching in Ivy League schools, they're, they're, they're giving lectures at schools about hip hop, you know, which is considered, was not considered, it's a street culture, it's a gang culture. It, it, was, it was utilized to bring op, ops, as they say today, together or find a, a, a less critical and less crucial way to deal with uh, 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 issues. It's also a way to repel and rebel against a system that was targeting black and brown people in a community that lost all its resources. Right? So start from there and then it's in an academy taught by people of practice, which I could name some, taught by people of practice. So the blues is the same thing because both come out of these situations, right? And both evolve and both move with, I'm sorry, I'm getting all kinds of prompts from all, I'm, I'm streaming on different platforms. I'm getting all kinds of prompts. Sorry, go for so ultimately, with that being said, if you are not of the folk group, you cannot be telling anybody of the folk group, of the community of practice, who's qualified based on the outside interpretation, based on education. Not even, and it's not even the lack of. You're an educated black. You can't teach that. What? What are we doing here? Now, I'm not talking about internal issues at the moment. I've brought a couple up. And we can get to that too, but not tonight. We're about to wrap this up. But that's really what I wanted to wrap with y'all about. Black scholars, black scholarship, and black culture. Black scholars can teach black 
culture, tradition, and folk expression, especially if they are of practice and are deemed of practice, meaning it's recognized they've been doing this for a long time in a public capacity. All right? So I'm coming back next week. I want y'all to come back and check me out. We're going to be talking about blues and black music is the new cotton industry. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Blues and black music, the new cotton industry. And, oh, also look out. Um, I said it earlier. I will be interviewing Sister Candace Ivory on her new project, which venerates and honors Memphis Minnie. Check her out and check out that um, album. It's, 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 it's very necessary. All right. Uh, thanks for rocking and rolling with me. That's right. I said rocking and rolling. Because if you didn't know, there would be no rock and roll if there was no blues. Last night, uh, me and my, my, well, I hate to call them kids because they're not kids no more. But me and the um, youngins was looking at some um, music, listening and looking at some music videos of uh, uh, Fats Domino, um, Chuck Berry, Wolf. different. Well, you know, we're look, we're looking at songs that we can learn, collect as a family to to play and stuff. And my my daughter is a punk rocker. That's what she's into. So I, I love showing her uh, these these guys that are the father. These guys and girls, these men and women that are the father and mother of rock and roll, who are actually playing rock and roll in real time. You know. And so I say rock and I can say rock and roll because I'm still talking about the blues and the blues people, you know. So yeah, thanks for rocking and rolling me. Uh, we're gonna be up next week talking about blues and black music being the new cotton industry, and we're going we're going we're going to interrogate some of the culture, tradition, folklore of that as well as the realities. All right, y'all have a good night.